You're listening to OK Now Listen, a bi-weekly show where we chat about what's on our minds, what we're binging, and what's blowing up our timelines. I'm Scotty Beam, a media personality, content creator, music enthusiast, and also a wing connoisseur, but that will be cut short because I'm cutting out meat for about a few weeks. Go ahead, Phil. Oh, no, not again. Y'all remember season one when this happened, right? It was rough. It was rough. It was edgy. I'm going to need y'all to pray for me. I'm just getting this news with the rest of y'all. So prayers up. But yes, I'm Sylvia O'Bell. I'm a culture writer, host, producer, and lover of Beyonce. Even though this woman refuses to send me an Ivy Park box. But that's neither here nor there. I'm going to commit my love to you. I'm gonna commit my I love to you regardless. I have I, just a crumb of a box, a, a letter in the post, maybe. <laughs> would be nice. Like, you know, just a little, just a little envelope. But yes. <laughs> hey girl, we're back again. We are back hey again. So, Sylvia, first of all, we passed your birthday. We also passed Valentine's Day. How are you feeling? Right? It's a lot. It'd be back to back for me. But what I appreciate is it's a lot of love. I'm feeling very loved. And you know what I love most? <laughs> Let's count. Take a sip every time we say love in this episode. You might die. Facts. So, <laughs> but what I what I love the most about my birthday and Valentine's Day being so close together is that I feel so loved back to back. And what I really appreciated this year is that even though that I'm single and not in a romantic relationship at all, all the other forms of love in my life were so overwhelming that I didn't even feel lacking. And I think it's always been that like the friendship love and the family, the family love has always been there. But I think like my self love is finally at the place like where it really doesn't even feel lacking when I like see Valentine's Day happen and can't take part. It may also be because it's been about five years since I've taken part in the Valentine's Day. So maybe a bitch just got used to it, but. <laughs> but that's the true reward. That's the true beauty with love. I hope people don't think just because they don't have a significant other that they can't be loved. Like, right. The, the most rewarding and, and beautiful and most uh, full love is the love that you have for yourself. Ooh, absolutely. And I appreciate, like, Valentine's Day just ain't about the lovers. Like, yeah, it's not about it's romantic for, love only. We no, just, we just it could prioritize be for that, family but. love, friend love, love for yep. yourself, and just celebrating the fact that you are here in love with whatever it is, you know? So I... I that's why it's my favorite holiday. I know people are like, yeah. oh, I can't believe you. Aside from my birthday, which is a holiday. Oh, gosh. I do. <laughs> I do um, think that Valentine's Day is my favorite holiday because it celebrates love in all spaces, all, you know, all faces. <laughs> like, it doesn't necessarily <laughs> have to be with a man or a woman. It could just be with yourself. Yeah, and I love self love. I love self love. It's the best too. love. Shout out to that like, song with yeah. Ari Lennox and Baby Rose. I love that. Oh song. yes, right. yes. But like, no. To your point, like my mom still sends me Valentine's Day card every year at my big age, which I really appreciate. Like That's I, awesome. you know, I what I spent the Valentine's Day on a date with one of my girlfriends, who's been on this podcast, Darian. We went to drive in. Oh. I love yeah to go see Cinderella, the the Brandy and Whitney, the only Cinderella we acknowledge, and I sang the entire time. But like yes. I, 
you know, we had a good little Galentine date. Um, and yeah, so I loved all of it. I watched romance movies all weekend. I listened to love songs all weekend because we, me and Sky, we are really soft when it comes to love. Like we are some romance. <laughs> With some hopeless romantics on this year podcast, okay? I am a cry. I literally will save up my tears. I get excited to cry over movies. Like, I'm like, yes, I can't wait. It's going to be so sad and loving. That's why I also love when a new movie is out, too, because I've watched my favorite love movies so much that I don't necessarily tear up anymore when I see them. Like, you know, I went through the usual classics like Love Jones and Brown Sugar. I threw in some new ones like Sylvie's Love because I wanted to watch that one again just to get a better idea, like, you know, grasp of it. And To All the Boys was my non-black romance movie of this weekend. I only watched one non-black romance movie this weekend. It was the finale, the third movie, Always and Forever, in the installment. And I just stand Laura Jean and Peter for life. And um, that one made me cry. Because I just was like, I love these little high school kids so much. I don't know. Jenny Han, thank you so much for giving us this gift of a movie trilogy to all the boys because that really actually made my weekend as well. <laughs> it was a lot to me. I just realized something that I, I'm i a traitor. And- What do you mean? <laughs> I watch love movies, absolutely. All my love movies were white and- My, how the tables have turned. <laughs> it was only because, and it's Twitter's fault and I blame my Twitter followers, I blame y'all and it's not on me. But I asked everybody, you know, what is their top three romance films? And, you know, people were telling me about Lost in Translation and uh, Dear John, all these white films that I missed, clearly, that I, could, I, didn't, I don't remember seeing. So I said, <laughs> so I'm going to take try. some time to watch some. They were trash. Dear John <laughs> is trash, guys. I'll never, ever, ever listen to y'all again. Dear John, Lost in Translation. Um, those are only two that I watched that were white. Okay. Uh, and of course, I watch About Time. I love that song. <gasps> I love About Time. Oh, about, love time about Time breaks about time. me every time. That Rachel McAdams knows she know how to be a, a romantic yes. lead. <laughs> Shout out to her. Yeah, so that's what I was doing. Yeah, yeah I, I, we I enjoy what, watching. I'm, I'm happy films. for this because let me tell you what. Now, I've been meaning to speak to the listeners about this real quick before we pivot. Y'all making it out to seem like, do you see the tweets when they're like, I grew up a Sylvia, but now I'm more of a Scotty with the whites. And mm-hmm, I'm like, mm-hmm, why? Mm-hmm. What are y'all paying me out to be? Like, they try, I was like, <laughs> just because I do my job as an entertainment reporter <laughs> doesn't, and I know these white actors and I've watched everything, white and black, doesn't mean, don't pay me out to be one of them black girls that only did white things. <laughs> Just because right, I knew a few right. names, but no, yeah. like that, I was cracking that because y'all still be tweeting that sometimes, and I'm like, what does what does this mean? What does this mean? Right. Please, the ignorance put some respect on my HBC. It's a choice degree. that I can make, <laughs> right? It was a choice that I wanted to make that I've been dedicated to, you know, and it's an ignorance that I don't mind keeping until my death. So that's fine. Sorry, I had to take that little t- aside, but the bigger point here is that we love all love movies. And romances. If if that's the theme, if that's the genre, we will press play. We may not like it, but we will press play. But I love that that's what we both did on Valentine's Day, even if it was me doing it alone and you doing it with a lover. Um, yes, <laughs> both we just celebrated love, it's romance. It was beautiful. Yes, I had a great time. So you're on cloud nine. Are you feeling? Are you feeling love? I, I didn't. I didn't ask I you how you're feeling so after Valentine's. 
Yes, I I love him so much. He's so great. He's just so. He's such a great person. He really is. He's, you know, love gives you the space to, you know, explore this person as a human being, and I am learning that I love all aspects. You know, even if they get on my nerves, Mm. they help me see clearer, and I appreciate that, and I love that about finding love with a person so yeah it's great i um i i felt safe and i i love that that was really dope y'all y'all stop okay is it just me i know the listeners are with me i just i'm just so proud because you know as somebody who used to have to hide scotty's running sneakers in my own (laughs) closet i'm just so proud of the growth that has happened here and I love seeing my friends in love. Like I, I love Me seeing too. my friends in love and that's one of the other reasons I love Valentine's Day. I'm just so happy for you bitches because I was in the trenches when we was just yelling out way to exhale lines and I mean we still mm-hmm. do. But I like I was it. in the I was in the trenches with y'all. And speaking of the trenches of heartbreak and disaster. We want to like, we want to go opposite. I feel like it's very like on brand to talk about love and this and that and just the beauty of it all on Valentine after Valentine's Day. But we want to talk about the ugly, the ugly, the ugly of it all, the heartbreak hotel, (laughs) the heartbreaker. You got the best of me. So let's do it. Let's talk about some of our heartbreaks and heartaches. Let's do it. Let's get into it, please, guys. You know, let's. Let's tackle this together. All right? (laughs) All right. (laughs) So let's get into it. This is a safe space where a vulnerability and transparency. And I want to ask you, my sister, Scotty, Mm -hmm. when was the first time you experienced heartbreak? The first time I experienced heartbreak (laughs) was... It was a few years ago, probably seven years ago. Sorry if it's blurry. I don't remember the years. I can't give you the years. But um, it was when me and my very serious boyfriend, very committed relationship was put to an end because of cheating. Uh, mm. He cheated on me. And um, boy, did I feel like a fool. My God. Like, I... Um, what I did was, I know, you know, people are like, what happened? Well, what happened was, <laughs> what happened, girl? I knew. Well, this man done went on a trip, mm. and with his friends, and uh, one of his friends was like a super duper Luber Cooper senior. Like he's been a senior Ooh. for eight years. <laughs> I didn't know so where that sentence the was moment going. <laughs> that he graduated. Everybody went down to celebrate this moment because they thought it would never come. So True. they went, had a good time, whatever. But I just knew. I had a feeling. And listen, I don't go through phones. I don't, unless my heart knows this is it. Something is wrong. And what I did was, I knew it was passcode. We all know their passcode, but, you know, we don't need to go through their phone. But kick this phone over to me on my side of the bed. Acted like I was going to the bathroom, kicked it over on the other side. <laughs> you kicked? Picked up the you phone. You kicked his phone? Yeah, because the phone was on the floor. Oh. Like, oh, charging? I, yes, charging. <laughs> so I had kicked this the back phone. back before niggas could afford nightstands. <laughs> <laughs> kicked the phone. 
phone. I was like, you kicked it. <laughs> kicked the phone all to the other side. Picked up the phone, went through it, saw what I needed to see. And then um, woke him up, five in the morning, uh, with my stuff all packed. I've, he didn't wake up not once. My stuff was packed. And then I said, um, take me home. He was frazzled, just, what? What is going on? What? Take me home now. Like, there is no conversation. I want to go home. And so he's like, what? what did, who did you talk to? What? I said, I already know something happened. Mm. If I didn't even go through the phone, you would already tell me because you're, you're guilty. You can, the way you are speaking to me right now just shows that you have something you want to tell me and you couldn't. And although, you know, we're really close. We're we were best friends like Mm. before we were in a relationship we were really close so i just was more hurt that how how did you and i could just tell by his face and how he was talking to me you know i love you right i really love you i love you so much you know i love you huh so just telling on himself i knew yeah so he took me we were driving home i didn't say anything he was very afraid because I, I thought I had this idea of what I would do when I found out I was cheating on, cheated on. Like, I thought I was going to break some windows. You know, I was going to bleach some clothes. Car. <laughs> now, don't get it fucked up, y'all. I have done that before. Yes. But not this time. <laughs> this time, I just wanted to go home. I just, I just wanted to see my mom. That was that's it. When you, that's when you know the hurt is real. When you slide past anger and just go to just mm-hmm. disappointment mm-hmm. and just like, depletion like that's when you know you were in love so we get to the house and i say my last little i forgot what the color purple (laughs) line is until you do right by me that's that's it right there whoopee with the fingers pointed (laughs) until you you wait wait you you did did you do the fingers when you said no 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 i I pointed (laughs) like i pointed i didn't do this you didn't do the double just the one finger (laughs) right (laughs) Until you do right by me, nothing, everything you will ever have will crumble or something like that, I said. And then I walked out. But the crazy thing is, it was like six in the morning. My ex, let's call him Troy. Troy drives away. (laughs) We have names, whatever. Troy drives away. My mom pulls up at six in the morning at the house. She was out all night partying with my aunt. Oh, not living living a better life. (laughs) <laughs> but I was so happy to see her. I collapsed in the in the parking in the, in the driveway, oh. and I was so sad. I cried. I cried. I cried. I cried. And my biggest mistake ever was asking, "What did I do? What did mm. I do?" Like it was never attacked on attack on him. I was extremely upset, but I was so focused on what I did that would make him do something like this. I thought if I did all the things that a right. good girlfriend does, that I wouldn't have to get that kind of treatment. Right. That's what we were taught. And that's what I it was a lie. I did. It I was, was 100 It was a super lie, but yeah. it was 100% commitment. It was the first time that I've ever put both feet in and mm. did my heel toe inside of love and then got slept with reality and that boy that took me that took me on a ride now you tell me your first time your first experience my first heartbreak it's 
the first or the first time I experienced heartbreak, it's it's a little layered because like in that that was a long relationship that had two breakups, like one in the middle and then one at the end, right? But the very first heartbreak, I was much younger. I was I was 17. I was 17 years old when I when we broke up that first time in high school. This was my high school sweetheart. We started dating right before my 16th birthday. Um, so we were like, even the fact that we had made it from, you know, 10th to 11th grade and, you know, he was a senior, I had gone to prom with him, like, you know, like all of these things that that's a big deal in high school that had made it that long or whatever. But I couldn't even tell you, this is how I know I'm getting old. And because my first heartbreak was when I was 17, I don't even remember specifically how it happened, but what I remember, like, I, I, I remember that he broke up with me. But I don't remember how he broke up with me, which is a lady. Let this be a lesson to you that you will get through. But like, but like, I, I don't remember how it happened, but I do remember going home and just collapse. My bedroom was like the basement in the apartment, like that me and my mom and my sister lived in. And I just went to the basement and like collapsed on the ground, like just laid out. Pro, like, like you know, uh, laid prostrate out on the ground and mm-hmm. just sobbing, sobbing to the point that when my sister, when my little sister came home, I remember her saying to me, this is what I remember most is like her being like, I thought you were dead. Like, I thought I was going to have to call 911 or something. Like, I didn't even know. And my sister and I are eight years apart. So I probably traumatized the poor girl. She was like, if I was 17, she was like 10. No, nine. So like she, um, I know she was like, if this love, I don't want it. But I, I was devastated. I just remember how I felt. And I think the first heartbreak hurt so much for me, not because he didn't cheat. There was like no cheating. It was just that the idea that somebody could love you like that and then stop. It was like, because I was so young, like that wasn't like those two things. I didn't, I didn't realize that like, one that you could and then you couldn't, that you can start and then you can't, you know, like, or the idea that like suddenly everything that we had just experienced, all the feelings we had felt, all like the little history it had, like, how does that suddenly mean nothing to you? And I think mm. the heart, the first heartbreak was so hard for me because it was, I didn't have the reference point of that I could get past it. Like that first heartbreak hurt so much because I didn't know, like after that, like if I, when I got my heart broken, I at least could look back and be like, you've made it through this before. You can make it through this again. That first heartbreak, baby, when you don't know that shit, (laughs) you're like, I don't want it. I'm done. I'm going to be single forever. My life is over. And I was a teenager. So, you know, it was extra dramatic. And Mm -hmm. I, it, it, and I think the interesting thing is that with that breakup and how he what after he broke up with me that he literally a week or two like two weeks later was posting some new chick on myspace <laughs> to date myself in violence in the zip up that i bought him from against all odds with my hard-earned money high school pennies He's going to po- change his profile pictures of him and her. And I'm like, violence. So what happened after is what I'm asking you. 
So what, what did you happened? do after that? Well, here's the problem. I, all I did was cry and write sad poetry, Scotty. Oh, and literally, God, I'm not a... But you know what? I had fighting friends who was like, listen, but that you know that's not me. I'm very much like... It don't got to be you. It could be me. <laughs> it don't have to be you. I had a Scotty. It could be listen, me. And the Scotty friend in my life at that time, Aisa, who is really... You lost your Who mind. was really there, like literally was like... Girl, what? No. And so when we would, I remember like when we would, because the hard thing about high school breakups or in hometowns is like, you have to still see each other. And like, I literally was like, I have to see him out with this chick. And it felt like every time we were happened to be at the same place, like people wanted to fight about it. It was drama, you know, like this, this and that. But I just really, to me, I guess why it was so difficult was that I didn't see it coming. And that, like, I don't really know. Because we were in high school and we were kids. Like, I don't really know the real reason he broke up with me at that point. But I do know that a year later, he came back and was like, I want to I wanna try again. I messed up. I messed up. The other girl, I she wasn't you. And uh, she was so intimidated by you the whole time we were together. And, like, she just would never stop talking about you. And she was just intimidated by the love we had, this, this, and that. And to me, I'm like, okay, so you loved me, you stopped loving me, or you pretended like you stopped loving me, and then now you love me again. And of course, because like, even in the way it went, like, we kind of worked our way back to, like, slowly. Like, he had to earn it. Like, he would like come to my job and like at the mall and like bring me lunch. Or like, I remember when my parents, um, when we were moving from the apartment we lived in into the house because my mom was getting remarried, like he came and he helped us move. And like, you know, he was doing all these things and just trying to get in good and just going stuff, you know, popping up at church, this, this and that. And it was just like, okay, I love it. I'm sorry. I, you know, like let's do it again. And then we stayed together for like through college, through half of my college career. Like, and he moved to Greensboro to be with me in North Carolina. And mm. I think- the the breakup that happened the breakup that happened after we had like spent a year or two in North Carolina basically playing house essentially you know while I was getting my college degree was that that's the one I remember clearly because it was the final one but it was also the one where I had the clarity of like we're outgrowing each other and the end of, at the last 6 months of it we both were kind of like we probably shouldn't be together anymore but we've we've come so far how did we just throw that all away was I think what happened and it was and that breakup was so like you ever had to like unpeel yourself from somebody I think going to Paltrow called it uncoupling but like I feel like the second breakup actually took months I don't know if anybody can relate to that where it's like me being like I can't do this anymore I need you to not be here when I get back or something like that you know what I mean or I remember just like you know being in my room and they being like Bro, like, you need to get your... I think I was frustrated. I remember being frustrated because you know me. I have my shit together. And I think yes. what was becoming clear to me was that I was on a certain path. I was like, I, I'm now, you know, a junior in college. I want to go to New York. I want to go to move back to a big city and be this journalist and, like, you know, do these things and go into entertainment. And, like, I had these big dreams. And he couldn't even, like... I think I was frustrated that I couldn't even get him to, like... 
go to class. You know what I mean? Or like right. take his school seriously. And I'm just like, how, if I can't do these things with you, how are we going to like do a life later? You know what I mean? Or like right. our focus. And I think I had to realize that I was trying to make him somebody that would fit my life and that he was trying to be somebody who would fit my life. But that's not really who he wanted to be. That's not right. really who he was. And there was nothing wrong with the fact that maybe he just wanted a simple life. When did you realize that love was not enough, though? Like, do you remember the time specifically when you said, okay, this needs to end? Where, you know, the, not the first breakup, the second breakup, where you yeah. said, okay, clearly we love each other and love is it. But obviously love is not going to be a, enough to, to sustain this relationship. I realized love wasn't enough when all the other things started to collapse. Like, just like mm -hmm. the respect, the responsibility. Mm -hmm. There was a time where he actually, because, like, living situations, he was, like, low-key staying, going back and forth between staying with a friend and being in my dorm, right? And, like, mm -hmm. I had one of those dorms that was, like, a suite. So it was, like, you know, I had my own room within the dorm, but it was still, like, a dorm room with, like, a twin-size bed and not right, much right. space. And I remember just feeling very claustrophobic, like, like, I just felt like I couldn't breathe at a certain point. I was looking around and I'm like, I love this man, but my God, like, this is, this is crazy. Yeah. This is crazy. You know what I mean? Like, this is out of, this is, is it like, you know, when you have those moments where like, is it me or is this crazy? You know, like, I definitely was feeling like that. But I think for me, I loved him so much. I think Bell Hooks in the, her book, All About Love, says it like, connect, like we were connect, we, we connected I'm saying, I don't know if I'm using the tense right, but we were attached to each other in that way our whole lives. It almost just feels like our lives were so molded together because we got together at the same time when my parents were getting divorced. And I don't think emotionally, I don't think I realized emotionally how much I transferred mm -hmm. my dad being the man in my life to him becoming the man in my life. I remember in that dorm room that night being like, I can't do this anymore gotta go, like, please be somewhere else when I come back. But then I also remember then being weak for, like, weeks later, like, be like, okay, so, like, yeah, you we can still share the car until you figure something else out, or, like, we can still do this or that. And then it was, like, ultimately he had to walk away at the end, too, because I just have a hard time letting go of people. Like, that's, I think that's why it's so difficult for me sometimes to even pinpoint the breakups, because... I believe my abandonment issues from when my dad left made me never want to make somebody feel like that. So like we ultimately like had to cut it off cold. Right. You know what I mean? And it was devastating to me. And I think that was, and I think I was, it was very, it was all very confusing for me at the time because it was devastating, even though I knew it was necessary and I didn't know how to make sense of those emotions. But I think to your point, it comes back to like realizing that the love isn't enough. And that's, so sad. I, I've realized that when, you know, the crying was over, because, you know, my mom would say, like, give yourself a week to cry about it, and then you will get back. You know, you, you got to figure out what you're going to do. Um, mm -hmm. I noticed that I cannot multitask. Not good at it. So when I'm in something, I'm in it. And everything else is on a back burner, which was horrible. Yes. Um, when we broke up, when I, you know, when I left, I cut 
all like there was no way to reach out to me i was not accessible there was no way for you to get in contact unless like you had hit your friend to i even blocked his friends except for one because me and him are actually like cool everybody else got blocked and Mm. i wanted no nothing i didn't want to i just needed to figure out what i was going to do um that lasted a whole year because i not only was i grieving a relationship that was romantic but i was also grieving a friendship Mm. that's when i put things that on the back burner and then i started to focus on my career and i was hell-bent like I was I wasn't going to do nothing else. I wasn't going to think about nothing else. I wasn't going to, you know, I, I properly grieved for like a few weeks. But after a month or two, I was like, everything else, it has gone black. I don't remember anything else. I'm not going to think about anything else. I'm going to work my ass off, work so much that I don't mm. have to think about it. Figuring out what I wanted to do and, you know find out what makes me happy and do all these things like i was i was outside duh i was outside uh what i did realize was you know so things always come back I'm right because that's what i'm about to ask I, mean, I know you, i'm cutting straight realize, to it when did you realize oh shit i mm-hmm. thought i <laughs> i thought i was over it well I'm not. you know a lot of boys those are things, boomerangs, baby. Yeah, the the <laughs> the distractions won't heal you, and I thought that those distractions would be able to give me the healing that I needed, and that's not what you do. I if you are bleeding from that sentence. You are not alone. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm speaking to the people. And you I shot. Used, you shot. You you shot us. <laughs> I use I use my work as the biggest distraction, although I love it very much. I know part of it was because of heartbreak and because I refused to let him win there. And in my head, you know, like you see the Michael Jordan meme that says, and I took that personally. I really took that personally. (laughs) I took that personally. So you bossed up. You were like, I'm going to win the breakup. I said, I'm going to win. I'm going to get better. I'm going to be better. But emotionally, I wasn't. And I realized that when somebody mm. reached out to me and said, uh, you know, Troy's Troy's mom is not doing well. You know, hey, you might want to. Okay, cool. So I reached out. I unblocked and reached out. And after a whole year, I would think he was over it. You know, I always assumed niggas be over it. Oh, whatever. I thought I was going to see a you, new and improved. You, you a bad bitch, sis. You a bad bitch. What, what well, do you expect? Yes. <laughs> but okay. when he broke down, that's when it sucked me back in. And, you know, mm. I said, well, maybe. Well, maybe. That's well, where the maybe. well, maybe is that, coming. Ooh. Well, maybe we can figure this out. Maybe we can turn this into something. Maybe, you know, but not realizing that through that year, Although I did have distractions and I was working, I did grow. I grew a lot. And what I wanted in a man changed Mm -hmm. that year later. Mm -hmm. Also, you know, I'm not going to lie to you on here because I refuse to lie. I just can't. Yes, we try to make it one year. Then we 
break it off. We don't speak for two months. We try to make it work the next month. Then we break it off another two months. We try to make it work the, after messy. those two months. We yeah. break it literally was off and on for years. For years. Mm. Mm. And it's because we thought that love would be enough. That love was going to make up for all the pain that you've caused me. Love was going to make up for, you know, the expectations that we had for each other. Love was going to make up for possibly anything that drove me crazy about him. And same thing for me, I'm sure. But he was able to make that adjustment better than I could. You know, he was fine with me being a different person. I just wasn't fine with him not being the different person. I know that sounds so... No. But I wanted... I did want him to change. I wanted him to grow up. And although he may have grown up in a different aspect, something different, I was expecting something completely different. And my growth was way more important than the love we had for each other. It was and way baby, too important. That's the difference maker for a lot of women. It's not lost on me that like, why does my career always go so much better when I'm single always. than when I'm in a relationship? I had to change that. Yeah, that was something that I had to change too. Because I don't know what that, why my prioritize, like literally priorities. Like how do we, sh- like learning how to do both. And I'm like, well, God not, sometimes I wonder like, will God not give me the person who's for me until... I learn how to do both till he knows I can handle the relationship and not lose myself in it. And right. he's waiting for me to be mature enough to be able to balance that. Please don't ever lose yourself. Ever lose yourself. Or, or become that person thinking that if you be more like him, be more like her, then it'll make him or her love you more. And then you lose sight of yourself completely. Mm. You don't know who the fuck mm. you are, what interests you. We went through and that then when so y'all you break don't up, have to go Right. That. So that when, you know, Finally, you're left alone with yourself. You can only like the things that he likes, she likes. So now now you miss her and him more because you don't have anything for yourself. What do you have for yourself? Child, what have girl. you given yourself? And that's, and that's like super important because I know that there's people that get just, they become fucking so wrapped up. Wrapped up in in sponges of love. They suck in everything. Suck in who they are. And there are partners who will happily suck everything out of you if you allow them. Oh, have no problem doing it. They don't notice it. It doesn't happen. Right. They have no problem with it. They they think it's better and it's less of a convenience, you know. And it's it's less of an inconvenience for them. So they're like, okay, if you like what I like, that makes sense. No, you're going to get me. This is what I like. This is what we, you know, I like to do. You don't have to do them with me, but this will continue to happen whether you're here or not. And I hope everybody takes that with them. Please keep things for yourself. It's okay to share them, but be able to make sure you make some things your own. Mm. Yes, y'all are one, but you are also one too. I know people are like, we are one when we're together. Yes, but it's also two different human beings, two layered human beings. We talked a lot about the baggage that you can bring in relationships because of breakup or heartbreaks, but I don't think we often talk enough about like the good things that come from it too and like how it makes you, how it can, the lessons from it can make you a better lover. Because I think for me, the question I kept asking myself was, how can you love me so deeply and then leave? 
I don't know. I, I think for the for you know that relationship with Troy, I was very much like, okay, he loves me. He said, you know, he wants to be He'll with stay. me. He'll stay. He'll okay. stay. Okay, so I can Ooh. do. I'll do whatever I wanted. I can do whatever I can do to keep this relationship. Be good. Be great. Stay committed. Do these things that you're supposed to do. Be great. And I'm still, you know, and then that slap in the face. So it's like, oh. Clearly, I'm not great enough. I think after that relationship, I decided to throw these niggas away mm. and get rid of them mm. before they do something to hurt me. I calloused myself, basically yeah. made sure that I had some type of armor whenever I come in. And I think this is the first relationship where I'm trying not to do that because I really don't want to mess this up. And I know this is just me being young, Diani, again, because sometimes I have that conversation with young me. Where I'm like, girl, you're worth it. You're enough. You don't have to try to prove it every time to get him to stay, to get him to be here. He just wants to be here. It, it really all comes down to being gentle with yourself. And that's something I just haven't. I've, I'm trying still. Or tr- trusting that the right man for you will be gentle with you and will love you enough to chip away at your armor, you know, and love you yeah. while you take while you take your time taking off each piece of it. But sometimes I think maybe do they are they supposed to do that? Should they be doing that? Like aren't I supposed to come ready? Like that and that's another thing. Like I was like before getting in this relationship that I'm in now, I was like do I, am I supposed to be armorless and I I can't. <laughs> I don't have that quality. <laughs> I think there's a way of like there's there's layers to it because like at this point like there's there's the toxic half of it where it's like you bring in your baggage and you the other person pays like actively for the mistakes of the last person and that's not what we're that's saying. Not good. Yeah. That's not what should be happening. That's not good. But I mean just the part of somebody maybe needing to be patient with you while you take your time to trust them. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's asking a lot. I mean it's you know I think especially at this point in our lives we're in our thirties. Everybody we meet now is going to come with a little something. There's a process of healing, but I don't think of healing as an end point. I think of it as a journey that you Mm. just continue on and it's always flowing and it ebbs and it flows and it grows and you should always have forward movement, but you should never feel like there's some destination you should be at before you deserve to be loved. Yes, I hear that. What advice would you give somebody dealing with heartbreak right now? Feel it. Don't fight it because... There's going to be a time, oh boy, where you say, I made it. I, I'm a, you're resilient. You will make it out of this. If you fight it, you'll never know. You don't know what you can put your heart through, too. And you gave yourself the vulnerability to love and opened your heart up to love. Now you got to have your heart experience some pain. And figure, and your heart has to learn how to deal with pain. And that's how you, you have to feel through it. You will come through a better person. You will do it. it it'll happen and on its own time too. Don't think that because you, you know, you waiting for karma to hit him and you, you'll sleep better that day. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Work on your own time. Work on your own healing. If that takes blocking him to Timbuktu, literally, do just no communication with him at all, that works. But I need you to feel 
through this. You are grieving. This is a loss of a relationship. It is a real process. And there'll be a moment where you will look up and say, oh, yeah, that happened. But I'm better because it happened. Do what you do what you need to do to make sure you know that that love was real. It wasn't fake and that it deserves to be grieved. And that's it. What would you give? Mm. What advice? Whoo, child. I think, I mean, you, you, you hit so many. I was like, dang, that's no, what I was going to say. I'm, I'm just like, gonna say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, leave the advice for me. No. <laughs> but I, I do think like to, in addition to everything you said, my overall thing is that you are going to be a better person because of this. Mm-hmm. And you, this is not, I think my advice is like, it, I, heartbreak sometimes feels so much like the end all be all in that moment. Like just an end of a life. And it is the, and it is in a way an end of maybe a life you imagined, but that doesn't mean it's the end of your life or the actual life. It's the God end of the idea. It's the end of the idea. You're grieving the fantasy. Mm-hmm. You're grieving the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the scenarios you've played in your head. But what I always trust is that I know that God has a better and bigger plan for me than I have for myself. And if I know that each time it gets better and it's like, wow, if I love this much this time and you mean, think of it like there's still better waiting for you. And how crazy is that? Your heart is resilient. It is more resilient than you think. Trust it as a muscle. I kind of think of it like when you get an injury and you have to go to like personal, like you have to go to physical training for it. Like, and you know, when they go back in the game for the first time, it's like, they're always giving the advice. Like you trust your knee, trust your arm or whatever it is that you injured. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. it's going to do, it's going to do what you want to do. Oh, but you have to let go of the fear that it won't. Yes. And I think the same thing about a heart and a breakup. It's like a heartbreak. It's literally your break, right? It's a, it's an injury. And when you, 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 when you heal it, when you do the work to heal it, you then have to go out back into the game, trusting that your heart will do what it was made to do. And so my, what I want to say to people who are heartbroken right now is that your heart will do what it is made to do. It will heal. It, it will, will love heal. again. And you will still have a beautiful life. And you, like our mamas, when us now, will look back at you, the view right now and be like, girl... If only you knew. Like, I sometimes I have to, like, think that to myself. Like, did I imagine that future me was going to be, you know, living in a beautiful apartment in L.A. and, like, having all these things happening in my life? No. But that's the point. It is that's better. It does give. And my version of better won't be yours, but it will still be better. And these boys, man, these niggas are not everything. Or these women are not everything. Or they, the people that you love, you know, to get across the whole spectrum. The person you love is not, they're not your whole life. They feel yeah, like your whole you life, but it's they're impossible. not. And, it, and it's so, it, it's impossible. You, you have, can't. life is so long and we only get one of them. Do not, do not waste your life. Sometimes I have to think to yourself, myself, how dare you? Like sometimes I tell myself, like look at myself in the mirror, like how dare you waste this life? How many people do you know who haven't even, never even got to make it to the age you are right now? How dare you waste your life crying over somebody who thinks you're expendable? They're not for you, but trust that the right person is out there and it may not come when you want it or you think or this or that, but the number one prioritizing person that you need to make sure loves you is you. Mm-hmm. 
So work on that. Mm-hmm. And everything yeah. else will fall into place. Fall into place. You just got to give it time. Please practice patience. Please. And pay attention to the people who are there for you in this moment because that's what taught me about friends, soulmates, and great loves not being limited to romantic relationships because mm-hmm. the love, the, my girls are the loves of my life at this point. And I'm sure I will add another love to my life. But, you know, there's a lot of love around you. And so pour yourself into the other loves that are around you. And you will realize that you're not as lacking for love in the moment as you think you are. Breakups are tough. And sometimes you just need an escape from it all. I mean, since vacays are limited right now, I really recommend movies. Like movies are my number one thing to watch. I, the same way we watch all these rom-coms when we're feeling all lovey-dovey, you got to cut that shit off sometimes when you go through a breakup because you'll end up texting that person or doing something that you ain't supposed to do. So I highly mm. recommend watching some action movies uh, when you're just not with the shits, when you want some violence, but you know you're going to go to jail. So you can't really <laughs> execute it physically. You need to see it on the screen. You know, there's violence, explosions, just a great way to channel that heartbreak energy. Choosing violence in a safe way on your screen versus in your actual life is the violence we're choosing here. You know, a good explosion on the TV screen can really stop you from exploding in the texts. Okay, Outside the Wire on Netflix is actually a great choice for that. It's got explosions. It's got violence. And it's set in the future where your future boo is waiting for you as well. What more can you ask for? Right. Right. Because, I mean, Outside the Wire would have been what I had to watch in order not to bounce your boyfriend, your ex-boyfriend's head like a basketball after I seen the girl (laughs) with the sweater on. I would have lost my shit. Okay, so I would have definitely been watching Outside the Wire. I'm glad we got to sit down, though, because we got to talk to Damson Idris to talk about his movie and so much more. Check it out. Okay, so welcome. So first, I have to ask you, before we get into everything, how is your heart, Damson? It's great, man. You know, um, the movie is doing great. It's is number one in, I think they said 74 countries mm-hmm. and we're, we're doing season four of Snowfall right now. So we started, um, we started back after our, our hiatus. We've got about a week left to shoot. And um, yeah, I walked in to, to work yesterday and everyone from catering to everyone, they'd all seen them outside the wire and they're like, Damson, Thank you for saving the world, kid. <laughs> you know, it's it, it. The future's bright. Yes. And it's currently number one on um, Netflix Top 10 in the U.S. Talk to us about how you came across this project outside the wire. Um, what drew you to it? Um, well, I was in um, I, I was I was in L.A. filming um, and then we'd wrap season three. And I, there was a bunch of projects on the horizon, but I didn't really know. I didn't really want to dive into another role that was so dark. I think season three was was quite dark. Um, and I'd come up farming of Black Mirror and the police shooting racial tension themes of Twilight Zone. It was like a heavy, my credits would just get heavier and heavier. I said, I want, <laughs> I want to have some fun. So I was in London and this project came across my desk and um, I sat down with the director, Mikhail, um, over Zoom. 
Uh, this is before the pandemic. <laughs> uh, now Zooms are all we have. Um, and then, you know, he spoke to me about the movie, spoke to me about what he wanted to do. I was always a fan of Anthony Mackie. I loved the script. Um, so I jumped at the opportunity, man. And I will say how everything I've done, this has been my most fun I've had filming on anything. So that's great. We love fun. I love that. Cause we need to have, joy. we need to balance the joy with the pain and the, and the sad. It's, it's just a lot. It's a lot to be black in the world right now. We need to have fun when we can. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm running out of that, that one glory tear, man. I'll, I'll put <laughs> Your ducks are tired. They are tired. Yeah, man. Let's show some teeth. Let's show some teeth. So your character Harp in the movie is sort of a hot-headed guy. You know, even though he's super talented at what he does, he isn't great with taking direction. Sort of like a co-host I know. Um, Wow, that's crazy. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming, Damson. When I said, I said, oh, here it comes. The shot. It was like, as I, the more I thought about it, I was like, who does this remind me of? When it's I was us. watching it, I In said, the workplace. well, Harp is me. I am Harp. <laughs> I would have took the shot regardless. It's and early in the morning. Shade like that? Wow. <laughs> we come out. I told you what it is. We're at brunch. Idris, get your mimosas. So, but what attracted you to this kind of character? I mean, you mentioned the joy part, but like also just like playing the soldier. Yeah, well, it, it was unlike anything I'd, I'd done before. Harp was a character who I knew as a just as a viewer and as a black man, when we see this character, we want him to be cool. So that's almost like the the, the cliche, the expected thing when we see ourselves on screen playing action heroes. But very rarely do we see ourselves in action movies where we're not the best person holding the gun and we're not the person who has it all figured out and we're not the bravest. So to start with Harp, where we find him, this hotshot great drone pilot who's thrust on the front lines alongside Captain Leo and has no idea what he's doing on the front lines, is scared of every explosion, <laughs> to where we get to at the end of the movie where he's having to overcome adversity and to save the world. Um, it was it was exciting to me, man. I, I wanted to go on that journey. I was attracted to that arc of the character. And I thought it would yeah. be something fresh to show us in a different light. Yeah. I'm not going to lie to you. I was screaming at you. I was screaming at you <laughs> when you was hiding behind that truck. I was like, if you don't get yourself together. Or if you don't start acting like Franklin. If you, for real. <laughs> Buck up! What's wrong with you? I was I, my, meanwhile. I was like me if I ever got put in a war. <laughs> I was like relatable. Finally, a soldier that I can relate to hiding behind the truck. Like I ain't about to die Facts. for y'all. What? Facts. It's crazy. But what was most challenging uh, with bringing this script to life? I know you've had a lot of fun with it, but is there anything that was most challenging? The the biggest challenge for me was just. I like to really understand and live in a character's soul and to play a drone pilot, what I learned from watching movies such as Eye in the Sky and, and Ethan Hawke's uh, Good Kill was that what isn't spoken enough about is the PTSD and trauma that comes alongside with being a drone pilot. You know? You're sitting in a chair such as this for months and you're looking at a location and you know, you're looking at a little girl who sells bread every morning or 
that family or that dad that walks his son to school. And as soon as your target is in that location, you need to forget about that rapport that you've built with all of these individual people and just press a button when you're ordered to. And that could have a lasting effect on you when you go home. So that was the biggest thing for me to understand Hop's level of trauma. Um, he's, they say he's a brilliant drone pilot and Leah refers to him as being cold and calculated. So I wanted to understand that Hop isn't like that, but I wanted to understand that he definitely works with people like that. I wanted right. to understand the weight of being a drone pilot and, and the power that's actually at your fingertips. Right, and when doing this work, you know, how have you managed to take care of yourself while doing that kind of connecting? It's interesting, man. Um, sometimes I, I, I get a bit too deep in, into characters, I think. But, you know, traveling was something that was really good for me. As I said, fortunately, this was a period, this is 2019 that we shot this, we were in Hungary. Uh, Budapest. So when I wasn't on set, I was able to walk around the city and just enjoy the history of Budapest and eat their food, um, drink their liquor. <laughs> Is it different? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's strong. Don't, oh, it's strong, man. There was a bar called the Bob that was right next to um, the Four Seasons. So anytime I felt like I was too in my head, I'd head over to the Bob and, and have a, a glass of red wine with, um, with Anthony Mackie. But there was loads of ways I could get out of, of get out of my head. Right, right. And you, you spoke a bit about Anthony Mackie and how excited you were to work with him on this project. What were some of your favorite moments working with him? Is there any lessons as an actor you got from him? You know, it felt very like big bro, little bro, like why with you guys on the scenes. Was it like that behind the scenes as well? A hundred percent, man. Mackie is um is my big brother. I call him and 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 bother him too much so i'm definitely his younger bro but just just with regards to codes of navigating this industry he he spoke to me about humility a lot um he was like you're in the light kid you know you're in the light and um and and a lot of ego comes with that you're gonna have a lot of yes men around you but sometimes someone's gonna say no don't flip at that person cherish that person that said no um, he spoke to me about the highs and lows of the industry. Sometimes you're loved, sometimes you're not. But the biggest thing he taught me without actually vocalizing it was happiness. And that's something that a lot of people don't speak about enough in our industry. But to look at someone like Anthony Mackie, being in a position I'm in, a young starting out actor, looking at a more seasoned actor who's done over 70 movies and he's still happy. Uh, it instantly lets me know that I could be happy one day in that position too. And one thing that's not spoken of about is a lot of people have it all but aren't happy. So Mackie taught me that you can be. I love that. I love that. I actually wanted to ask you, you know, navigating through this ind industry, what has surprised you recently about yourself as an actor? I think it's the, the pandemic. I think it's the pandemic, you know, the pandemic has made me ask myself, Damson, who are you outside of acting? Who are you outside of what you do, right? And it's made me get into new interests. Um, I play Call of Duty and FIFA way too much. Uh, I'm trying to get as close to family as possible. As an actor, I'm away from them so much. So I think just the times 
has taught me how to navigate this industry when we finally get back to doing what we love I'm going to focus on putting those things first family uh, time with family there's been moments where I've been invited to do things with family where I've said oh but this movie mom you know this movie's going to pay me this or oh I can't come to my nephew's thing because because this fashion show's doing this you know and then you go to these things and you're suited and booted and you look pretty and you take the picture but but do you even remember it like there's certain events that I went to last year that I'm like I don't even remember those things I remember none of it but I remember hanging out with my family and you know the constant language that you know I was speaking with my family and, and and being able to embrace them and touch them and stuff like that you know what I'm saying that's what mattered the most but I didn't get to see that until quarantine mm. until it was taken from me you know exactly and there's been so many sacrifices during this time of course and we all must be respectful to that but there's also been a lot to gain spiritually uh, and mentally through this time uh, and I hope just as a society and humanity in general, we're able to take some good jewels from this time and apply it to when we finally get back to normal. It's funny that Scotty had mentioned, um, talk, talked about events that we don't remember. One, I'm sure you don't remember is, I was at the Oscars in 2018 when John Singleton brought you to the Oscars and I was there doing inside the theater kind of interviewing, cause this is what people don't know about the Oscars. I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna put people on game real quick. There is a whole <laughs> ass open bar in the middle of the Oscars. Like you can be in the theater in your seat, but most people are at the bar. Like you ever wonder <laughs> people are getting bored? I'm like, so this is how they keep the A-listers entertained during this entire ceremony so i was i was tasked with being at the bar to get quotes on people about some of the winners um at my old job and i saw john singleton at the bar and i literally was like um it was the jordan peele was up for directable you know it was going to be a big moment and he ended up winning but i wanted to get john singleton's thoughts on that moment you know and he did not want to talk to me about jordan peele you know who he wanted to talk to me about you and Snowfall. He was like, he said, you know, I'm happy for Jordan, blah, 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 but let me talk to you about my man dancing right here. And I was like, he he was like, who you, I want you to write about and who, what show I'm very passionate about now is Snowfall. He, he bigged you up so much and talked about your talent. Like, and I just thought that was so beautiful because he's been in the game. He wasn't at that point, you know, he'd been in the game for so long. He's a legend. What did it mean to you to have been ushered into Hollywood? Like literally ushered in by one of the most beloved legends that we had. I felt like the luckiest young actor in the world. And every actor doesn't get that privilege, man. And if every actor did get that privilege, they'd get to where they want to get to a lot, a lot sooner. You know, John, he, he taught me everything basically. Cause I, when I, came to LA, I didn't know anything. Um, I had been doing like plays and, and kind of small parts in movies and, and TV back home in London. So to be put in the limelight, it's like you talk about that Oscar party. I remember the, the, the variety party right after, right? And mm -hmm. one thing about me, I've always been someone who sat at home and, and Googled stuff that's coming up, right? Cause I, I, I always want to be um, 20 years ahead. Right. So even if the opportunity hasn't come when I was 20 years old, 
even though I didn't go to the Oscars until I was around 23, 24, I already knew what the Vanity Fair party was. I know you take the pictures. I know they give you In-N-Out burgers. I, I knew all of this stuff, right? <laughs> so we get there, and I'm expecting them to take a picture with John, and I'm just going to walk right in with them. They're not going to want a picture with me, right? John tells all these photographers, this is Damson Idris. He's a new lead on my show, Snowfall. Forget about me. Take pictures Literally, of him. Literally, that's all he was saying that whole night. <laughs> Young actors don't always get that. So what John's taught yeah. me is, as I'm moving on in my career, is to find that young actor that I could give that to too. That's what it's about. It's about the tether. And it's about pulling people up with you. So that's what John taught me. I love that. And I love that you mentioned that because last season, the season one, we had another actor that John ushered in, Nia Long, um, as a guest on our podcast. And she talked about how we, like the young black creatives and the freedoms and opportunities we have as a result of their work makes us their legacy. You know, like she was like, she looked at us, Scotty literally changed her Twitter name for like six months and called us like, you are my legacy, you know? And yeah, she, she said, was like, we are an extension like, of an her. An extension of her legacy. An like, extension. When she dancing. sees free black women, you know, in creatives doing what they do, like she's like, that's what I fought for. And I feel like, you know, it's the same thing with Eve, you know, in a lot of ways with a lot of us creatives and you very much have a direct line. You know, Snowfall is John's living, like, you know, the legacy that is continuing past his death and what does carrying on John Singleton's legacy look like to you? You mentioned wanting to usher in, you know, like um, another actor in that way. But even when you consider like your work and your career, do you have any thoughts on how you're going to continue to, you know, carry that on? Well, there's a lot of projects, for instance, that John would talk to me about. So as I'm moving into producing, which I am now, it's about bringing those projects to fruition and helping however I can to people involved. Um, he worked with a lot of people and he launched a lot of careers. Um, so it's about working with those people, some of those seasoned actors. The thing we have in common is John. So the magic we make is going to be special. And it's about creating more opportunities. One thing I'm fortunate about is many of the actors that I admire weren't leading TV shows and leading movies when they were 23, 24, 29. They, they weren't doing that. They didn't get those opportunities until they're in their 40s. That's why a lot of our black superheroes are in their 40s. <laughs> if you notice, you know, it, it, it took right. that generation a longer time to be accepted. A new thing you're seeing now is a lot of young black actors are producing now. So it's about us creating more work for people. That's essentially what it is. The more power I get, the more I'm in the room and the more people I could bring with me. That's what John taught me and that's exactly what I'm gonna do going forward. That's super powerful. That is very powerful. The new season of Snowfall premieres uh, February 24th. So, you know, how would you describe this next chapter of the series? What should fans expect? Fans like me who, when you came out, when you came out and that came, Franklin, let me tell you something. I was pissed. Blame Melody. Um, this season, so season four of Snowfall starts January 1st, so it's New Year's Day, it's 1985. Um, the Reagan administration has launched a war on drugs, of course, and it's rampant. So we're dealing as a crew with inner and outer conflict. We're dealing with the pressure from law enforcement. And Franklin specifically 
is trying to juggle the legality of running his mum's real estate business and the legal side of running <laughs> his empire. Um, a lot of people were drawn to the Franklin season and rightly so, this is someone that many of us identify with. Franklin represents our uncles, our cousins, our brothers. And we root for him no matter what he does. I don't care what Franklin does. I'm a ride till the wheels fall off. It don't matter. <laughs> but I, I, want, I want people to focus on, on the role that, that Teddy McDonald plays. Um, I, want, I want him to focus on how everything he does directly affects what happens in everyone else's life. But just as always, you're gonna be on the edge of your seat. And it is a show that's deeply rooted in history, deep, deeply rooted in truth. And despite John being absent, he's still with us spiritually and we will not let you down. To circle back to the conversation about, you know, whether it's Snowfall season, which we're very excited about, or Outside the Wire, it's pretty, at this point, I feel like in Hollywood, it's pretty clear that movies and shows starring Black actors will perform well, which, you know, we're hoping will always push some more diversity in these projects. What stories are you looking forward to being told next? Like, what do you, what do you want it? Like, if you could create, like... This is what I want to do next. Well, we are. I'm, I'm, I'm deeply focused on Africa right now because I think Africa is what brings us all together. And, and just from every year, a bunch of um, influences. <laughs> we, um, we, you know, we will do Christmas in Ghana. Or we'll do Christmas in in Nigeria. Um, and the the range of people from different backgrounds is, is something to marvel at. Be it people from London to people from America, vice versa. So it's just about telling those stories and getting as many actors involved as possible. I'd love to tell a story that's about 1950s Nigeria starring Daniel Kaloya and, 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 and Jonathan Majors and, and an actor from Brazil. And I, I feel like African stories really do bring us close together. And it was evident in Black Panther, you know? That's, that's something that creates the unity. So it's about focusing more on African stories. For me, I want those stories being told. I'd love to see more stories uh, cross over from the UK on a global scale, uh, along the lines of small acts. A lot of people don't know a lot about my background um, and everything I tell them is brand new. And I'm like, yo, how do you guys not know this? And it's because the art hasn't come over here, be it on a large scale with music or on a large scale with movies in general. And shows like Small Acts educate people on the stage to know that we're, it's not all tea and crumpets. <laughs> and everyone is working on sick team. You know, there's some men who just talk like me, you get me? There's some people who are just from the hood. There's some people who aren't from the hood but don't sound like that. There's some people who experience insane amounts of racial tension and, and there's some people who are entrepreneurs who started from the ground up. There's so many stories. There's immigrants. Yeah. Um, there's a huge correlation, basically. We love a strategy. We love a strategy. Yes. <laughs> and I, as, you know, my, I'm first generation. My parents are Kenyan. Most of my family is in Kenya or in London. And then, you know, we have the American cousins. So, like, the diaspora is very much in my extended family 
And I love the idea of seeing it brought, like those differences brought to media because we are like, I, you know, I'm the, you know, I am the American cousin. That's what they call me. Or oh, so we are cousin in the States is what they say. But then, Aww. you know, I'll go, I'll go home, you know, I'll go to Nairobi and there's tea time, tea and crumpets and all the things because, you know, colonization. Um, but, you know, and then, but in London, you know, visiting aunties there, like it's, it's, it's such a rich and like nuanced differences. But what I love is that I can see the root of us in each place and that is Africa. So I love that that's what you want to do next because it's so necessary. The the only, the, and I promise we're done after this is like, I was going to ask you if there was a tip that you could give our listeners on a good way to express interest in a man. Cause we're not men. So that's not a question we can never answer for them. And since we had you here, I was wondering. And I know you don't lie, Damson, that's for sure. <laughs> I was wondering <laughs> what your thoughts were. Okay, we could talk about the elephant in the room, which is the first time to be intimate with that new person, right? Okay. That time span is often dictated by your history in the past or your experiences in the past. One thing I will say about men, and I'm sorry, guys, I'm about to throw you under the bus. <laughs> a guy will wait for the first day, and he will also wait for a year. In between that time where you think he's waiting for you, he's with other people. Have that in the back of your head, and I think you'll be better prepared for if you make him wait in a year and he turns out to be a demon after you give him <laughs> your temple. That's, I'm throwing you guys under the bus. <laughs> I love how he says that you guys. Because that has nothing to do with him. He said, I'm himself. throwing you guys you, out. Men like that. Not me, though. Men like that. Not me. Yeah, not me. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm an angel. But everyone else, every other time. But not me. But, um, but yeah, I, that's it. That's, I think that's, that's what I told my sisters. That's what I told my niece. Um, that's what I'm going to tell my daughter one day. Yeah. It's to always have in your head that he ain't. S-H-I-T. Make him prove that, that, that he is, you know? Make, make a guy work a bit, I think. Thank you so much for coming and sitting with us and talking with us. I really feel like we're friends after this, you know? Like, we're very looking excited, you know, we're very excited about your career and where it's heading, and we can't wait to keep watching you soar. And I can't wait to see this podcast soar even greater as well. Oh, thank you. It is soaring, it's great, it's doing well. The numbers are there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the numbers show we almost there so yes thank you so much Jamson, for sitting with us bless you thanks guys all right that's our show thank you all for tuning in and thanks again to Damson idris for chatting with us today and giving us a little relationship dating advice tips with his cute self okay. <laughs> Our show is a production of Pineapple Street Studios in partnership with Netflix and Strong Black Lead. Shout out to our team. Executive producers are Agarane Shashagre and Danielle Cadet. Our lead producer is Jess Jupiter. Our music is by Amanda Jones. Special thanks to Max Linsky and Jenna Weiss-Berman. Make sure you share your thoughts with us on the episode using the hashtag OKNowListen. Follow Strong Black Lead on the socials at Strong Black Lead. And follow us too. I'm at Sylvia O'Bell. And I'm at Scotty Beam. Until next time, folks, stay black.